0: Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Ephesians. And now, Pastor Bird.
1: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we continue our study of Ephesians, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to the truth found in your word. I pray, Lord, that through your sanctifying power, that you would continue to mold us and shape us into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we started our study of the letter to to the Ephesians, and I spent last week pointing out from verse 1 that Paul was the author, and in the opening of that letter, he identified himself with the title of apostle. And of course apostle means messenger, and if you're a messenger, you're delivering a message for someone else, and of course Paul identifies himself as a messenger for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see it there in verse 1 of the opening of the letter when Paul wrote Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So we have the author and the author is a messenger, and of course that's Paul. And if you are writing a letter, a letter always has a recipient. And verse 1 tells us the recipient of the letter as well. If you look at verse 1 of Ephesians 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look at that second part of the first verse, to the saints, and of course, we identify saints as those who are of the church. So he's writing a letter to the saints, which are in Ephesus. And just to give you a little bit of background of this, there's a there's a very valid argument that this letter was a circular letter, meaning that, yes, it was written to the Ephesians, but it was also meant to go all throughout Asia Minor as Paul is writing to the Christians in that particular region. And today we're gonna spend some of our time looking at this word saint. And of course, if you've been in church for a long period of time, you know that statement that there are two types of people, saints and ain'ts and believers and and non-believers. Calvin said that with a little bit more pizzazz when you look at his quote regarding that. He says, no man therefore is a believer who is not also a saint. And on the other hand, no man is a saint who is not a believer. Paul addressed this in the upcoming verse that we'll eventually get to in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, when he said, "'Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God.'" So as God calls us out of darkness into light, as he explains here in Ephesians 2, that we come out of darkness, we come into light and we become members of the household of God. We become saints. So on a topical level, you can see that saints are members of the Christian community and they're members of the household of God. The pocket dictionary of the reformed tradition gives this definition of saints. It says the worldwide communion of Christians, both living and dead. In the reformed tradition, the term is applied to all who are God's people by election and includes both the visible and the invisible church. Protestants rejected the Roman Catholic notion of saints as those who have attained special merit and are worthy of veneration for their intercessory role in salvation. The witness of the faithful is a useful example, but reform ecclesiology is essentially egalitarian in denying any kind of special class system and affirming the priesthood of all believers. So in the reformed tradition, we don't believe in a special sainthood. We don't pray to saints. We don't acknowledge any special merit with saints. We are all saints. As believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are all saints. Baugh, in his commentary on Ephesians, gave a real brief definition of what saints are, and that is consecrated people. Consecrated people. In other words, we have been set apart. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind as we work through this letter to the Ephesians. And in fact, if you look at verse 4 of chapter 1, it reads, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so that goes along with this theme of being consecrated, that we've been pulled out, that we've been separated from the rest of humanity as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ for a special purpose. And that purpose, and what I want to spend some time on this morning because I think it's very important, is that that purpose has a very important role in our holiness. In our holiness. J.C. Rawl, in his book on holiness went through a long description of all of the people in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament that had some type of Effort towards godliness or the pursuit of God, but they never attained a level of holiness. And he goes on in his book and he talks about the fact that knowledge won't give you holiness. A great profession perhaps will not give you holiness. A zeal won't give you holiness. Morality or an outward respectability won't give you holiness. A pursuit of knowledge or listening to preachers won't give you holiness. All of these things by themselves will not give you holiness. In fact, he says, a man may have any one of these things yet never see the Lord. Hebrews in the 10th chapter, verse 19 mentions this. Hebrews 10:19 says, "Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holy by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way in which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance and faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water." You cannot separate salvation and holiness. They come together as a package. Now, this is extremely important that we have this right. And in fact, you see this in Hebrews 10 when it mentions that we have a new and living way that we can draw near with a true heart and full assurance in faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. In other words, we have the blood covering, right? We have the blood covering of Jesus. That's how you and I come to the Lord Jesus Christ is that we have a blood covering. And we can argue in that blood covering from a doctrinal standpoint that that, that is our positional holiness. That's our positional holiness. Because when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have the blood covering and the blood covering of Jesus Christ allows God to look upon us, not with our own morality, our own righteousness, but he sees us as the righteousness of Christ. We're covered with that blood. That's our positional holiness in other words that is our justification that's the right doctrinal word for it and of course i've always said that there's a cheat phrase with that justification means just as if i'd never sinned that we have that but there's a second component there in hebrews 10 verse 22 it says in our bodies washed with pure water Our bodies washed with pure water. Now MacArthur in his commentary makes this very important point. That that is the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And that is the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Moving us more and more to look like God the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if we look at our salvation, as I mentioned a while back as a currency, that, oh, I'm going to heaven, that's not the correct view. We believe in a regeneration in the life of the believer. And that regeneration that becoming a new person in the Lord Jesus Christ causes one to move more and more towards God and the representation of holiness in our life that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews twelve fourteen, pursue peace with all people and holiness... So he's telling us, pursue holiness, without which, now this is very important, without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, we believe in a salvation that causes change within the life of the believer. And it's not through human effort. It's not through morality. It's through the transformation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He changes us. He changes us. He changes our appetite for the things of life from the things of the world to the things of God. He changes us. And you're going to see this theme in Ephesians regarding holiness in the church. I read Ephesians 2 earlier in Ephesians 2.19, but I'd like to expand it a little bit more. So let's go back to Ephesians 2. And let's look at 19 through 22. And it says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Look at that again, a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. That's why I'm making the argument and the point that holiness, both from a positional standpoint with justification, and then a practical standpoint in our sanctification as we pursue holiness, you can't separate that from salvation. Unfortunately, there are some people that say, oh, well, I'll accept the Lord Jesus Christ, and yeah, maybe one day I'll pursue holiness. That's not salvation. Because we believe in the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that salvation has power, and that you can't separate that. And unfortunately, there are some people that look at their salvation and, is just isolated to a one-time event. And depending upon your denominational background, people will say that one-time event, and they'll say as if that's it, that it's isolated to that. So for example, if you grew up in the Baptist tradition, what's our word for that? I walked the aisle. I made my decision. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that look at that as that one particular aspect of time. They look at the fact that, well, that's going to get me to heaven, and then you can live your life however you want to. Because I think that you could make a valid argument that in today, in church culture, that there has been a great diminishing of this pursuit of holiness but we are to be a holy people. We are to pursue holiness. It is part of what salvation is about because salvation isn't just limited to one time that you made a decision, whether that is in the Baptist tradition or if you want to look more in the liturgical tradition of, oh, well, this is when I had my confirmation. Whatever people go back and they say, this is the time and event, this gets me heaven, and that's all salvation is about. If you limit your salvation to that, you are diminishing the richness of not only the blood of Jesus Christ, but also what God has in store for you as a believer. It is not a one-time event. We have been saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. It is the power of God working in our life all the way till we see Him face-to-face, we believe in the regenerating power of God. Now, I want you to turn to a verse that we quote all the time. And you're familiar with it. It's Romans 8, 28 through 30. But I want to point something out. And we always quote 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We use that verse all the time, don't we? And rightfully so. We use that verse as a point of comfort. All things work together for good. But look at verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. In whom he justified, these he also glorified. If you want to sum up salvation, if you want to say, how can I describe why God has acted in my life? It says it in this verse. Look at verse 29. I'm going to give you the phrase. To be conformed to the image of His Son. If you would look at your salvation... In that light, why did God save me? Why did God save you? He saved you to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, if you look at your life in that context, life starts making sense in a rich, in a dynamic way with our spiritual walk. If you're going through a trial or tribulation, if you look at Romans eight twenty-eight and 29 in that context, instead of just going, well, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. But if you'll think about the reason for that, the reason why you go through a trial or tribulation is to have you be conformed in the image of his son I don't know of a better comfort. I don't know of another way to where you can look at life and say, this makes sense. If you're going through a chastisement in your life, because after all, if we drift and we're a child of God, what does the Bible say? He will chastise us. If I'm going through a chastisement and I look at that and I think, why am I going through this? You know, still a line through Chuck Swindoll that I've heard him say years and years ago, and it made sense. He said, if you're going through something rough in life, first of all, look at your life and say, is there a sin I need to get rid of? In other words, is there a reason why God's chastising me? And then second of all, is if I'm not going through a sin, to look and say, God, what do you want me to learn from this? If you look at those statements that Swindoll makes, and you look at Romans eight twenty eight and 29, it makes perfect sense. Whether it's a chastisement or whether to grow me or to grow you. It's for you and me to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, a move in holiness, right? A move in holiness. That that, that is his purpose in saving us. It's so much more rich than just looking at salvation of, hey, I don't have to worry about hell because I'm going to heaven. And unfortunately, that's what it's come to. Oh, I don't have to worry about hell because I'm going to heaven. And you miss all of this. The church should be pursuing holiness. And in that pursuit of holiness, If you look at what the church is supposed to be doing, the church is supposed to what? Equip the saints. Well, if the church is supposed to be equipping the saints, it means that we're supposed to be teaching people to pursue holiness. And I would argue that unfortunately, there's this huge disconnect right now in our modern world where you see believers come and they worship but they're not taking the Bible and applying it to all of the things that they're encountering in life. They're not applying it. But if we're to be saints, if we're consecrated, if we're set apart, if the purpose of our salvation is for us to be conformed in his image, then we're to pursue holiness. Because when you think about salvation, and as I've argued before, if you look at that from a doctrinal standpoint of justification, sanctification, and glorification, that one day, yes, we'll stand before him perfect. And the transforming power of God is complete. Doesn't holiness make sense? That we've been declared holy, we're pursuing holiness, and then one day we'll be completely holy so that we can be in the presence of God. Doesn't that make sense? If you look at your salvation that way and if the church is doing its job, we are to all be pursuing holiness. When you think about being a believer, there's some people that have professed Christ years ago And unfortunately, they weren't pursuing holiness, but then they got serious about their spiritual walk. And they may be at a different point of maturity. You know, it reminds me, I always say this, but my father-in-law always had this phrase that I always thought was hilarious. He said, why do old people study the Bible? And he said, they're cramming for the final exam. (laughs) And so there's a lot of truth with that. When you think I'm getting closer every single day. But if God loved us so much, he loved us so much that he gave us his son so that we could have life. It means that you and I should be pursuing holiness. And we should be reading our Bible more and we should be praying more. And we should have a thirst for the things of God. This should be the thing that consumes us in life. And that's an everyday thing. That's not a Sunday thing. That's an everyday thing. And when we start asking ourselves that difficult question, both on an individual level and then as a corporate level, am I, in my life, can I say that I'm actively pursuing holiness? That gets a little convicting, doesn't it? I know it does for me and it's a battle. Just as Paul said, I die daily. And there when you see that phrase that Paul said, I die daily, it points to every day he pursued that there's a battle going on with our flesh, right? That we have to we have to keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and on the teaching to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you start looking at your life in that context and saying, am I pursuing holiness? Is my life reflecting the life of Christ? It gives you a deeper meaning in pursuit in life that you're focusing on the things of God. And this brings me to the next phrase that Paul used to describe the church here in the opening of the letter. He said, faithful in Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. And the reason why I wanted to spend some time this morning on these is typically sometimes when you look at a Pauline epistle, you kind of just run through the opening. But there's, there's a lot of meaning here. And I think you can see the meaning in holiness, that we're consecrated, that we're set apart, that we've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you think about being faithful in Christ, and of course the Bible says that even our faith is a gift of God. That we don't have the ability in our own power and strength to recognize the need for God the need for Jesus Christ. The Bible says that that's a gift. That's a gift. So there's, we sit here in congregation today, you and I can't crow about a thing. Our faith, the ability to recognize our need for Jesus Christ was given to us by God himself. It wasn't our logic. It was in our intellect, it was not our circumstances, it was not our morality. You and I are here today in spite of ourselves. We're here because it's been a gift that we could even recognize the need for Jesus. And it says, as he writes the church, he says, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Back to my contrast between those who look at their salvation as this binary event. And for me, it was in 1976. At 1976, I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I just looked at that one moment in time and said, okay, I'm good. I don't have to worry about the flames of hell. That was my event. And then I'm just living my life accordingly. If you look at your salvation that way, it's completely Wrong. That's when I first met Jesus. That doesn't define my relationship with Jesus. My relationship with Jesus has been ongoing and it's become more rich and sweet and deeper and is more meaningful. That's what salvation is about. In other words, when he identifies the church as those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, He's not referring to a binary event. What he's saying is, is that those of you who are walking in your faith, faithful in Christ Jesus. In other words, that you have a dynamic faith and that you're pursuing the things of God. And I'm about to turn to a scripture that you may look and go, why in the world are you reading that? Because it doesn't go along with your sermon. I think it will after we finish Turn with me to Matthew 13. I'm actually going to read from the Christian Standard Bible. And it is Christ explaining the parable of the seed and the sower. Matthew 13, starting in verse 18. It says, so listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root and is short lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, the one sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is one who hears and understands the word, who produces fruit and yields some hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. And the reason why I'm reading that verse is, is that when you look at those particular verses, what Christ is telling us is that there are some people who make some type of profession, but it's not a saving faith. A saving faith has fruit. Now some people look at that fruit and they go, well, that's just evangelism. That's people bringing others to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through witnessing. It's a lot more fruit than that. And that fruit, the fruit that we can display in our own life is, is when, back to Romans 8:28, is when we're conformed to His image, that our life reflects this pursuit of holiness, that we have this true desire to look at our life along the benchmark of the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, am I pursuing? Am I moving along and reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ in my life? We should all be asking ourselves that question. Am I pursuing the things of God, just not on Sunday, just not here on worship, just not on Wednesday night, am I pursuing the things of God in my life, in my family, in my marriage, in my workplace? Am I reflecting God in my life? And this is who Paul is writing to. And I think that as we progress in Ephesians, what you're going to see is, is that you throughout the letter, you're going to see the eternal purposes of God. And the eternal purpose of God isn't just to get you out of the flames of hell. It's so much more sweet and dynamic and meaningful. And my prayer is, is that as we pursue the study of Ephesians, Ephesians, that we see God in all of his glory, in his power, in his holiness, in why he has reached out in spite of us and has engaged us into a relationship so that you and I may know him and walk with him for eternity. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for the richness of your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is trustworthy, that we can rest in it. I pray, Lord, that we might all have a thirst for it. I pray, Lord, that we might be a people that are truly set apart, not only just in word, but also in deed. That we might all examine our life and ask ourselves, are we pursuing holiness? I pray, Lord, that you might continue to transform us and change us by your power in the indwelling of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m., For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.